It's Sunday morning, and I would like to introduce you to David's family, okay? Uh, the Psalmist David's family. Turn over to First Chronicles, the second chapter. This is what this is what family trees are these chronologies are about. This is what they're good for. You have to learn learn to look at the book of Chronicles so you can know what's going on. This is David's David's heritage and where he comes from. We know that David is the from the tribe of Judah. The king has to come from Judah. Judah is the fourth son. Judah is the fourth son of Jacob. And the Bible says the scepter will not depart from Judah. The scepter, the ruling scepter, will not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet until shadow come. Some say the lawgiver was a scepter. Let's just say this is the scepter. And some say it was a scepter. Some say it was the scribe that sat down in front of him and took notes or wrote things down as laws were passed. And the scepter between his feet, he kept a rod between his feet to pass laws. And when he waved that, that meant it was the law. So, as to whether it was just a scribe or a scepter, I'm not going to uh, quibble over that. We know that the scepter or the ruler has to come out of Judah. That's why when God appointed, when he appointed Saul as the first king God had it in his mind to reject Saul and to cause evil spirit to come upon Saul it was God that called evil spirits to come upon Saul so they come from Judah we know that that uh, Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob and we know that Simeon was the secondborn and Levi was the thirdborn and Levi, out of Levi, would come the uh, would come the priesthood, and that has a long lineage to it. And then Judah would come the king. That would be the king. Well, David was of the tribe of Judah, and Jesus is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, I want us to look at Judah's heritage here. Uh, in verse 3 of chapter 2, this will show you how you can find that in the book of Chronicles about who belongs to who. The sons of Judah, Er and Onan and Shelah, which three were born unto him. That's a long story just there. You can find that story uh, in the 38th chapter of Genesis. Just these men right here. Which three were born unto him of the the daughter of Shua and the Canaanite. And ere the firstborn of Judah was evil in the sight of the Lord, and God killed him. And Tamar, his daughter-in-law, bare him. Now, Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Bare him, Pharez and Zerah, and all the sons of Judah were five. And the sons of Pharez. Now you can see that Zerah 
It's not going to come through him. Only one man would be picked to be the lineage, to carry on the lineage. So it's Pharaoh's, not Zerah. Pharaoh's, Hezron, and Hamul, and the sons of Zerah, and Zimri, and Ethan, and Heman, and Calcol, and Dara, and five of them all. And the sons of Carmi, Achor, the, the troubler of Israel, who transgressed in the thing accursed, and the sons of Ethan, Azariah, and the sons also of Hezron that were born unto him, Jeramiel, and Ram, and Chalulbah, and Ram begat Amenadab, and Amenadab begat Naashan, prince of the children of Judah, and Naashan begat Salma. Now you'll find this same lineage in the first chapter of Matthew. Salma begat Boaz, and boy, there's a recognizable name. Boaz begat Obed, Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat his firstborn Eliab. We're familiar with him. He's the one that Samuel went down to southern Judah there in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel and told Jesse, God sent me here to get a king among your sons, and he trots out the firstborn Eliab. God says, I haven't chosen him. And Abinadab the second, and Shema the third, and Nethanel the fourth, and Redai the fifth, and Ozem the sixth, and David the seventh. Now, I'm not going to get into that right now, because other than to say David was called the eighth son of Jesse in the 16th and 17th chapter, evidently one of the sons had done something to be marked out of the book of life. The book of life was a was uh, like a little courthouse where they would keep records of all the fathers and sons. And when when he uh, when David come trotting out, he was the eighth son of Jesse. The Bible says in the sixteenth and the seventeenth chapter. But he's called the seventh. Probably one of his brothers had done something to be blotted out of the book of life, not the Lamb's book of life, the book of life. Whose sisters were whose sisters were David's sisters were Zeruiah and Abigail. Z E R U I A H. You can pronounce it Zeruiah if you want to. I'll just call her Zeruiah. Zeruiah and Abigail. Abigail was David's sister. And he also had a wife named Abigail. The Abigail wife was the ex-wife or or the wife of Nabal, who was a wicked man, and David took her to wife. David had many wives, but that don't mean you're supposed to have many wives. And the sons of Zeruiah, this is, this is the two men, or actually the three men. Zeruiah had three sons. She had Joab. Well, we're going to talk about him. Whew. He is one character. Joab. This is Zeruiah's sons. Joab. And then she also had uh, Abishai. I didn't put him up there. Abishai. A-B-A-S-H-A-I. Abishai. 
and Asahel, A-S-A or A-S-A-H-E-L, A-S-A-H-E-L. Now we're going to talk about Joab and Abishai. Joab was one honorary, hard-nosed, mean guy. He was David's captain of the host. He was David's commanding general is what he was. Let me show you that. And it goes on to say that Abigail bare Amasa. Now, Abigail had a son named Amasa. Very significant. Joab was the was the head of David's army. There's a reason for that. Look over here in uh, second in First Chronicles eleven, eleven. Here's the reason that Joab, and we've talked about Joab. What really gets me about when they make movies about David, and you'll see some guy standing over there and. And uh, David will say, Joab, do so-and-so. He said, yes, sir, uh, your wish is my command. Like Joab was ready to do everything David said. Joab wasn't ready to do anything David said. Let me add this. The commanders of armies were in charge of a nation. Even through, though the king was sitting in control, they, they weren't in control whoever the army wanted to follow. And if they followed a man who led them to victory after victory, that's the man they believed in. That was the man that had the power over the king. Perhaps that's why Joab was so ready to kill people. He was a murderer. The man had no principle whatsoever as long as he got what he wanted. Now, Abishai was the man that followed his uncle David everywhere. He rode with him when into battle. If And Abishai was by no means some pansy. When David is numbering Israel in the 23rd chapter, numbering the armies of Israel, Abishai was considered one of the mighty men of Israel. He could literally get in a battle and just cut people down right and left. He was tough as nails. He was the guy who was always opening his mouth <laughs> to David. David was trapping uh, Saul in some ditch somewhere, and Abishai said, Uncle David, let's go kill that man. David said, he is the Lord's anointed. Hush. He always had to tell Abishai to shut his mouth because he was always wanting to get somebody. You just give him half a reason, he'd attack you and kill you. So these two guys were David's nephews. He couldn't get away from them. He made the statement several times. These sons of Zerah are troubling me. I don't know what to do with them. Well, he had a reason for saying that about Joab because you remember the story. Well, let me show you that. That uh, First of all, let me show you the reason that Joab was the commander-in-chief. Verse 4, chapter 11, 1 Chronicles. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is actually, before it was called Jerusalem, it was called Jebus. 
J-E-B-U-S. Jebus. What it was called, where the Jebusites, oh, we've talked about them before. The Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. But they were supposed to drive them out when Moses, uh, not Moses, when Joshua came in to settle the land after being 40 years in the wilderness, they were supposed to drive them out of land, but they didn't, and here they are confronting them. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is in the city of David. And David said, Whoever smites the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab was so ambitious, he said, I'll do it. So, huh? <laughs> so Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was first up and was chief. And David dwelt in the castle thereof. They called it the city of David. But Joab was his, boy, what a guy to put in charge, you know. Look over here in Second Samuel. Well, look at First Chronicles twenty-seven thirty-four first. First Chronicles twenty-seven thirty-four. Twenty-seven and thirty-four. All right. It's talking about the lineage of David's people. Verse thirty-four. And after Hithophel was Jehoiada the son of Benaiah. And Abathur, Abiathar, and the general of the king's army was Joab. I told you he was commanding general. The Bible says so. Then you look back over here at at Second uh, Samuel five and verse eight. Second Samuel five. This is a story. Is all it's about. It's a story of. We've said this before. Samuel Kings and Chronicles is the book of the kings. Second Samuel five and verse eight. Five. We want a little more testimony than just one. All right. Second Samuel five and verse eight. Five and verse eight. All right. Verse 8, David said unto the day, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind, they are hated of David's soul. He shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. So David dwelt in this fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo and inward, and it was his nephew, Joab, that conquered the Jebusites. Look back over here in chapter 3 of the same book. I'm going to, what I'm going to do with this lesson is introduce you to these guys in different chapters of the scripture so you can know who they are. These are two of the most interesting men in the Old Testament, is Joab and Abishai, David's nephews. What about Asahel? He gets killed real early in the history. He did a real goofy thing. Just 
Sometimes these guys, but you can't see the goofiness in it unless you realize these, you can't just read the Bible and so-and-so did so-and-so and such-and-such. These are personalities I want you to introduce you to. They have personalities. Asahil did one of the craziest things. We'll talk about him. I'll show you the craziness that he did. He put his life on the line and lost it, is what he did. All right, look down here in verse 39. This is in this second chapter, in this, excuse me, this third chapter. This is where Joab and Abishai, in this in this chapter, they're going to go after. As the, they're going to go after Abner. Abner is the commanding general of Saul. Abner. He's Saul's commanding general. Abner is a good man. And Joab is the commanding general of David. And he's a bad guy. (laughs) He ain't good at all. And this is a genuine guy here. Abner had killed Asahel in some war games. They weren't, you're not supposed to be doing that. Let's look at him in those war games. I was going to leave this till later. But when you get over there in Second Samuel and you get into the you get into the second chapter. The first chapter we hinged on last week two weeks ago. We hinged on it because I don't want to get into it. It's just that after Saul died in the last chapter of First Samuel at Gilboa uh, a young man comes up to David and says, your enemy is dead. Saul is dead. David said, how do you know he's dead? He said, well, I came upon him uh, in the battlefield. Well, who are you? I'm an Amalekite. Ooh, that's Israel's enemies. So David's not going to be able to believe a lot that this guy says. So he tells David, I came upon him in battle, and he had fallen upon his sword, and he said that he needed to die before these Philistines get a hold of him because they're going to torture him. And so I was coming up behind him, and he asked me to come up there and fall on him and finish killing him because he didn't want to be tortured by the Philistines. So David said, you killed him, right? He said, did it bother you? To kill the Lord's anointed. David is still honoring Saul as being God's anointed. Even though Saul had chased him all over the country to kill him. And the young man. Well let's read that part in verse 13 chapter 1. David said unto the young man that told him. Whence art thou? And he answered. I am the son of a stranger and a Malachite. And David said unto him. How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? If Saul wasn't the anointed of the Lord, he would have never said those words about a vessel of wrath. He was God's choice. David never says one bad thing about Saul, not one thing. And Saul had tried to kill him through the entire book of 1 Samuel, well, at least from the 19th to the 31st chapter. 
And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote the guy, and he died. David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth has testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. Boy, there was a stiff penalty for that, wasn't it? Then you get over to the second chapter. David is only king over Judah. Now, somewhere along the way, they had split the allegiance. He was king over Judah. And this line here, Judah. They had a leader of Saul. Abner was Saul's general. When Saul is killed at Gilboa, Abner becomes the natural leader of northern Israel. Now, Saul had a son to inherit the throne, and his name was Ish-bosheth. Ish-bosheth was somewhat of a pansy, just a gutless guy. He didn't have any business being king, and Abner told him as much. Abner, at one point, took one of the concubines, and always the concubines went to the surviving king, not to anybody else. Ishbosheth just got all upset and said, those are my concubines, you can't take that. And Abner said, son, I'm the commanding general. I put you on this throne and I will remove you. Generals are that strong. If if you ever, there was an old movie out. It was called The Fall of the Roman Empire. And uh, the guy, he played a bad guy in, uh, in Ben-Hur. The bad guy driving the chariot, Boyd, Stephen Boyd. And he was the commanding general. And about the time the empire was about to fall, the other generals were coming up to him. He said, I'm walking away from the empire. I quit. And all the other generals were coming up to him. And the writers kind of, they made this right in the movie. They were come, coming up to him and say, 10 million dinars for the throne. Uh, 15 million dinars for the throne. They were trying to buy the throne from the super commanding general. They knew they could do it. And that's why these generals, those men would follow them anywhere if they were really good and their faith was in them. All the Israelites loved, all the Israelite soldiers loved Joab. They were going to win if they went in with Joab. And the same would go over here. If Abner was leading northern Israel, they could beat anybody. He was tough. He was powerful. Well, they end up having some war games, the two of them. After Saul is dead, Abner is leading the northern groups. And they have... They get together one day and they have some war games and one of the most important events happens in this war game. This side is fighting these guys over here, supposedly just a game. In fact, you can start reading this with me. And in this game, Abner kills one of the sons of Zeruiah, Asahel. And guess what it does to these two other brothers? and senses them we will get you for that let's read about it verse 12 of chapter 2 and Abner the son of Ner 
And the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim. That's one of the cities we've talked about a lot in the past. That was a city where uh, called a city of refuge. You're supposed to be able to go there and you're under protection. Uh, it, to Gibeah. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, the servants of David, went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, and one on the one on the one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, "Here's the two commanding generals, one from the north, Abner, one from the south, Joab." Joab is leading David's troops. Abner is leading the troops of Ishbosheth, which were the troops of of. Saul, let the young men now rise and play in some war games. You know what a war game is? They have those in these camps of where they're training soldiers, and they'll have the blue team and the red team, and they'll be trying to conquer each other. They, that best thing I can remember is an old movie, of, uh, The Dirty Dozen. They had those war games, and they one had on the blue and one had on the red uh, ribbons. Before us, and Joab said, Let them rise. Then there arose and went over by the number twelve of the Benjamin, twelve of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. He got twelve on each side. And they caught every one of his fellow by the head and thrust his sword into his fellow's side, and they're not supposed to be doing that. This is just a war game. So they fell down together, wherefore the place was called Helkath Hazurim, which is in Gibeon. And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zeruiah, Joab, and Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel was light of foot and fast on his feet. And he does the wrong thing. He attacks Abner. You don't want to catch Abner if you're just a kid. He'll kill you. And Asahel pursued after Abner. And going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, are you Asahel? You're fast enough and you're going to catch me. If you catch me and you're in trouble. And you will catch me. And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left and lay thee hold on one of the young men. Fight one of these young guys. You don't want to fight with me. I'm too mean. I'm too tough. You can't beat me in battle. And take thee his armor. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn thee aside, I'm telling you. From following me, wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? I'll kill you. You don't have a chance fighting me. 
the commanding general would be one of the toughest guys in the army. They, this wasn't like generals today that sat behind the lines. They stood in front of their troops and said, follow me. How then should I hold up my face to Joab, your brother? See, Abner knew he would win in a hand-to-hand fight with him. Howbeit he refused to turn aside, wherefore Abner, with the hinder end of the spear, smote him under the fifth rib. Then the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. This is going to bring about a churning of anger, and a it's going to bring out many, many uh negative things in the life of these men right here because they're going to want to kill Abner and they do and boy you talk about this starts a a rumbling in Israel like you haven't seen and it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and stood still Joab also an Abishai pursued after Abner and the sun went down when they were come to the hill of Amah that that lieth before Gibeah by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon and the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop and stood on the top of the hill And Abner called Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Abner is saying, There's no need in keeping fighting. Your brother's dead. But you think think these two guys are going to forget that? Not on your life. First of all, they're mean. Both of them. You remember Abishai, when they'd catch Saul somewhere, he'd say, Uncle David, I'll go kill that dog. He wasn't afraid of the devil himself. Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long will it be? Then, ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren. And Joab said, As God liveth, unless thou had spoken surely then in the morning the people had gone up every one from following his brother so Joab blew a trumpet and all the people stood still pursued after Israel no more neither fought they any more and Abner and his men walked all the night through the plain and passed over Jordan went through Bethron and came to Mahanaim this is that city of refuge where they could find solace and peace and Joab returned from following Abner and when he had gathered all the people together he stopped from from pursuing Abner but if you think this is over with not with Joab ain't nothing over with gathered all the people together they liked of David's servants 19 men and Asahel but the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that three hundred and threescore men died that day. And they took Asahel, buried him in the sepulchre of his father, which was in Bethlehem, 
And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at break of day. Hebron is the most southern city at this time in Israel. They're leaving the fight in northern Israel, but the fight's not over. This is just the beginning of Joab's fury and rage. You can't kill my brother and get by with it. It started out as a game, just a game. Just a game, a war game. But take young men and put them in a war game and give them spears and swords of what they're going to do. One of them's going to get hurt or get killed, and that's what happens. Now, it started as a war game. Now, we see the death of Abner in that third chapter. I'm not going to go into that right now. What I want to do is pursue Joab's death reign. He is goes after the world. Anybody gets in Joab's way, he doesn't even put up with David and getting in his way. He will ream David out at one point, just nearly cuss him out. He could get by with things with David because he was more or less the boss. Head general is the boss. That's all there is to it. And he knew that. He tries to He tries to somehow keep himself in charge. David tries to remove Joab at one point and put his other nephew, his nephew Amasa, tries to put him in charge at the end of the book and tries to uh, have Amasa be in charge and Joab ain't going to put up with that. All Joab does is says, come here, brother. Let me say something to you. And he sticks a knife under his fifth rib and kills his first cousin. He says, now, army, follow me. And they do because he's the one that they trust. He gets them into battle and out of battle safe. Now, I want us to go look at another person that he kills. Go to the 11th chapter of this book here's but he has now here's one reason that David well, he's several reasons he can't get rid of Joab David's the one that made the statement whoever conquers Jebus gets to me my commander well that was David's idea and he knew how tough his nephew was he's the one that caused it and David, in this 11th chapter, has a situation he can't get out of. He gets Bathsheba pregnant. But Bathsheba was somebody he knew. Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. Ahithophel. Ahithophel was David's chief counselor. David, his chief counselor. When you read, when you read over here in Psalms, in the book of Psalms, and he's writing in the fifty-fifth chapter of Psalms. And he talks about 
someone in his life, he puts it this way. He's talking about Ahithophel. Then he said here, and boy, there's a lot to this. In verse 11 of the 55th Psalm, he's talking about Ahithophel. Wickedness is in the midst thereof deceit and guile. Depart not from the streets. For it was not mine enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that magnified himself against me. Then I could have hid myself from him. He was in my very presence. It was a Hithophel. But it was thou, O man, mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into the hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning, and one at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. And I'm not, well, I like this down here in verse 21. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. Talking about Ahithophel. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Ahithophel, when Absalom tried to take over the kingdom, Ahithophel just stepped away from David and took the side of Absalom. I don't even understand that. And then he tried to follow Absalom and give him advice in battle since he was such a good advisor. And Absalom wouldn't accept it. So Ahithophel went home, set his house in order, and killed himself. His granddaughter was Bathsheba. So if David's chief counselor was Bathsheba's grandfather, you know that she came into the palace sometimes saying, is my granddaddy here? David knew who she was. He was outside on the roof of the of his palace or house looking down at the city and she was out there naked on her housetop and she was sunbathing. David went out there and lust entered to his heart and he said, I want her. He had lots of women. He had lots of wives. You can see some of his wives over there in in the third chapter of of uh, Second Samuel, third chapter, you can see his wives. I don't know why he needed another man's wife, but she was married to a man named Uriah. He was a Hittite, and David has to employ somebody because he gets Uriah's wife, which was Bathsheba. He gets her pregnant. He has her brought to the palace. And now it's amazing. The, the psalmist David gets a woman pregnant that's not his wife. 
I've had people say, I can't come to Grace and Truth Ministries. I've got too much sin in my life. Have you ever gotten one of your best friend's wife pregnant and then had your best friend killed? Because Uriah was the friend of David. He loved David. He loved being faithful to David. And you can see David's wives right here in the third chapter of Second Samuel. There was a long war to, between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David waxed stronger and stronger. And the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And David was born in Hebron. And his firstborn was Amnon. We've got to talk about Amnon. Amnon's going to be concerning one of the judgments of David because he commits adultery with Bathsheba. God's going to bring Amnon in his life. Gosh, I want to talk about it. I need to go on now. And his firstborn was Ammon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelites. And his secondborn was Kiliab. These are the sons of David. Of Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And the third was Absalom. Boy, is he ever going to have problems with him. He's going to try to take over the kingdom. You talk about, he has got troubles. How do you get the king of Israel? You go through his kids. How does God get you? He may go through your children. God will do anything he wants to do to get our attention. And Maacah, the Absalom was the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. And the fourth of Adonijah, is he going to have trouble with Adonijah in the first chapter of 1 Kings? Oh, you bet your life. Adonijah is going to try to assume the throne without being, without any coronation, without receiving any crown. He's going to say, I'm the king. My father's dying. He's not even dead yet, but I'm going to take the throne right now while, I'm st- while my father's still alive. And David's on his deathbed. Adonijah is a pistol. He is something else. And the son of Haggith, the fifth, and Shephatiah, the son of Abital, and the sixth, Ithrim, Baagla, David's wife. These were born unto David in Hebron. That's not all he has. That's just when he's in southern Judah before they incorporate the two kingdoms, northern Israel and southern Judah. Now let's go back over here and look at the here's the second killing of Joab boy he likes to kill people verse 1 chapter 11 it came to pass after a year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all and all his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David tarried still at Jerusalem and it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon and David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eli, Eliam, the daughter of Eliam, 
look at the 23rd chapter, verse 34. 23rd chapter, verse 34. Let's kind of pinpoint this Elium. 23rd chapter, verse 24. 23, 24. In 23, David is naming and numbering all of his mighty men in Israel. This is why the 23rd chapter is why God causes David to number Israel in the 24th chapter. And what's he doing? He's taking credit. He's taking credit for all of his victories because he's got a million eight hundred thousand men, soldiers. God says, let me remind you, when you had four to six hundred men, it wasn't your numbers that saved you. So he brings these curses upon Israel in the 24th chapter, and David's an old man about to die. Don't think because you're old you've got it together, because you don't. David didn't have it together. At the beginning of this book, he's a peaceful man. In the fifth chapter, he becomes, the northern Israel comes in, joins forces with him. He becomes the king over all of Israel in the fifth chapter. But here he is, falling down on the job. And he's naming all these men. If you look back at verse 18, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeri, was chief among the three big supermen of Israel. Abishai was a tough guy. And he lifted up his spear against 300 and slew him. This is the guy that's traveling with his uncle David everywhere he goes. You look down here in verse Verse 34, he's naming the mighty men of Israel. And, Eli- and Eliphalet, the son of Abishabiah, and the son of Malchathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilonite. Eliam was the son of Ahithophel. And over there, back in the 11th chapter, Eliam was the, and the daughter of Eliam was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Bathsheba was Ahithophel's <coughs> granddaughter. David had to have seen her somewhere along the way. Well, like she's a brand new woman over there bathing naked on the top of the house. And who she was. And he saw her nude and wanted her. And David sent messengers and took her. And he came unto him, and he lay with her, and she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned into her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Boy, this is the psalmist David, the one that was a man after God's own heart. David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab was leading his armies up there against the Ammonites. They were in battle. They were in battle up here in the land of Ammon, up in here. And Joab, and he tells Joab, send a message to send Uriah the Hittite 
back down here to Jerusalem, okay? So he does that. Brings Uriah back down to Jerusalem. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite, that is Bathsheba's husband. And Joab sent Uriah to David. That's probably a couple of days trip, if you're going to sleep some. When Uriah was coming to him, David commanded him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. David's trying to comfort him, wants to send him to his wife so he can spend the night with her. And when that baby is born, and it possibly has freckles and red hair, David was ruddy-faced, according to the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. Some people think that he had red hair, that he had freckles. Didn't look like Gregory Peck out of that old movie at all. And followed him a mess of meat from the king. He's going to charm Uriah. Go home to your wife. When the baby's born, maybe people won't think it looks like me. And Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. He didn't go home. And slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his home. Well, David says, I got to do something. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went down, not down to his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then did you not go down to your house? Uriah gives him a statement showing to the faithfulness of Uriah and how much he loved David. And Uriah said unto David, The ark of the covenant is up there in battle with Joab leading the troops. And Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab, the servants of my lord, are encamped in open fields. Shall I go into mine house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? I can't do that while you're in battle. And thou livest as thy soul liveth. I will not do this thing and enjoy time with my wife. David's going, oh my goodness, what do I do now? And David said to Uriah, Tear here today, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house to enjoy the company of his wife. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab. This letter is going to be Uriah's death warrant. And Uriah is going to take it to Joab and give it to him. And sent it by the hand of Uriah. So he puts this little envelope under his arm. Takes off to give it to Joab. 
in war, in battle, because of Uriah's faithfulness to David and the nation. And he was a Hittite. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and withdraw from him that he may be smitten and die. David is committing murder after he commits adultery. This is the psalmist that wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah into a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Now can you understand as Uriah the Hittite gives David problems throughout his life, can you understand why David has a hard time doing away with Uriah the Hittite? He just couldn't bring himself to kill him. He's the one that employed him to kill Uriah the Hittite. Huh? That's that's right. In this case, he's as bad as Joab. But the difference is, David repents of this. And after this, well, let me read on here. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messengers, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matter of the war unto the king, if so be that the king's wrath arise and say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Know ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech and the son of Jerubabeth? Did not the woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall? And he died in, the, in Thebes. He's talking about Zerubbabel was a, was a title for, for uh can't even think of his name. And went, and went you now on the wall, Abimelech. Abimelech was the son of, I still can't think of his name. The servant Uriah the Hittite is, uh, Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent him for. And he goes through all this, and look at verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And this begins just a avalanche of problems for David. Because of this, the prophet Nathan comes to David. And he said, there was a man, let's read it. There was a rich man and a poor man, verse 2 of chapter 12. And the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. That's talking about Bathsheba. And David had many, which he had brought and nourished up and grew up together with him, with his children, and did eat his own meat and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, was unto him a daughter. 
And there came a traveler unto the rich man. He's, he's talking about David being the rich man. And he spared to take of his own flock, of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him. And he took the poor man's lamb, dressed it, and for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing, he shall die. That's David's word. He wasn't being quiet when he said that. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did the thing and because he had no pity for the poor man. And Nathan said to David, that's you. Thou art the man. And David broke down and wept and began to cry and began to repent. Didn't know what to do. And it's all over. He wanted a woman. Ooh. I believe the woman is the stronger sex and the man is the weaker sex. The woman has every the woman wants the tree, all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And the woman and the man wants the woman, so she needs to get a man that can get her all that's in the world. That's the way it is naturally in this world. I want the man that can give me everything I want. I'm not talking about believers. I'm talking about people in this world. So Nathan comes to him and says, let's read a little more of this. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul through the most of the old most of first Samuel. I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives in thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. By this time he's king over all of it. And if I had it if I if that had been too little, I would moreover have given thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? He's talking to David. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite. He didn't say Joab killed him. It's like in the mob, whoever gives the word to have a man killed, the guy that's in charge that gives the word, he's the guy they prosecute, and they usually let the guys off that did the killing with lesser sentence. You kill Uriah the Hittite with the sword and has taken his wife to be thy wife. The amazing thing, that baby that she has, she dies in this chapter. His baby's going to die. And guess who's going to kill it? God is going to kill it. But later on, she has a son. Bathsheba has a son named Solomon. If he had, she has a son named Solomon. Does Solomon build the temple? Well, he certainly does. Do you think that temple was prepared by God before the foundation of the world? Huh? Was it God's intention that Solomon build the temple? 
not without him having that affair, not without David having that affair with Bathsheba, because Solomon is David and Bathsheba's son. He becomes king in the first chapter of First Kings. Huh? What? Calm down, Mary says. So Solomon is David and Bathsheba's son. He builds the temple, starting there in the third chapter of First Kings. He prays that great prayer, Lord, I'm just a, I'm just a child. I don't know how to rule this. That people give me wisdom. God says, since you've asked for wisdom, Solomon, I'm going to give you wealth, money, riches, and wisdom. And Solomon turns around. He finishes the temple in First Kings, the ninth chapter. It amazes me. Two chapters later, in chapter 11, he marries 700 wives and 300 concubines, secondary wives. And you're thinking, but Solomon, you just finished the temple. You got you prayed this great prayer in verse 3, chapter 3 of 1 Kings. And then God gives you all this wisdom. You build it. You finish in chapter 9. And because you allow your wives to go after these Shemosh, Bolek, and all these fire gods and tree goddesses, you split the kingdom into two kingdoms. Boy, if you hadn't had Solomon, if Bathsheba and David hadn't had Solomon, the kingdom wouldn't be split in two. But you get into, <laughs> into Ezekiel, the, 30, the 37th chapter, and the Bible shows how the kingdom's been split in two, but at the end of time... God bring them back into one. How can he bring them back into one unless they're split in two due to Solomon's sin? And there would be no Solomon if Bathsheba and David. David hadn't committed adultery with her and your Uriah hadn't been killed. All of these, it's like one thing follows another and that's the sovereignty of God, isn't it? Wow. Let's keep reading right here. Now, verse 10, chapter 12, verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thy house, David. Who? How do you get to a king through his kids? You notice I just, we read his children in that third chapter of, of 2 Samuel. We talked about his sons, Adonijah, Ammon. Now, God kills this baby in this chapter. Look at the, uh, look down here. David said to Nathan in verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David took the blame. You say, I thought you had to die when you committed adultery and murder. Well, you did have to in the Old Testament. But God would temper his judgment with mercy. If you repented, he would forgive you. Whenever the Bible would say that a woman who commits adultery has to die, that's without repentance. And David is repenting here. But notice what Nathan says. He says, The sword is never going to leave your house because thou hast despised me, in verse 10, and hast taken the wife of your eye the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, verse 11, 
Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, shall give them to thy neighbor. Gosh. Give them to thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. I think I need to take you over to Second Samuel sixteen twenty one. I'm going to come back here. I keep thinking I'm going to do this in a few verses. Second Samuel 16. Ahithophel is trying to advise. <laughs> I hate to go through all this. This sounds like the young and restless in Israel or as the world turns in Israel. Because. <laughs> We're getting into family situations. By this time, by this 17, uh, 16th chapter, uh, by this 16th chapter, Absalom is trying to take over the kingdom. He stands out in front of, he out, stands out by the gates of the city, charms the people, and gets a lot of the people to following him because he's got this beautiful hair, got this long hair, and he pulls it or he weighs it. It's very heavy. And he gets the people to fall in love with him. Six pounds. Huh? Six pounds of hair. And he gets the people to follow him. He charms them. So, at the end of this chapter, Ahithophel has joined has joined him he's joined Absalom I get so many names in my mind he's joined him and then look at verse 20 chapter 16 then said Absalom to Ahithophel give counsel among you what we shall do Ahithophel has defected over to Absalom while Absalom trying to take over the kingdom and Ahithophel had been real close to David he had been his counselor and Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines. This is part of the judgment of God in that, in that 12th chapter against David for what he had done. Going into his concubines, which, is, which has left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou hast abhorred thy father. This is Ahithophel's advice concerning David, one of his best friends before, evidently saw a better future with Absalom since he was a lot younger. But Absalom's going to pay. I keep saying, the Lord said, vengeance is mine, I will repay this, saith the Lord. You don't need to take revenge on anybody for anything. God's going to get Absalom. God's going to get Joab. And God will get Abishai. He'll do that in his time when he's ready. He's abhorred his father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. This has got orge all through it. Do you realize that? This story of David. This second book of Samuel. I keep saying this is the story, life story of David. It was David and Saul in 1 Samuel. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house 
And Absalom went in into his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. Remember that verse at verse 11 of chapter 12, 1 Samuel. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee, David, out of thine own house, which will be Absalom. And I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them to thy neighbor, which is your son Absalom. And he shall lie with the wives in the sight of of this son. Verse 12, chapter 12 of, of 2 Samuel. For thou didst it secretly. You took Bathsheba secretly. And I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. I will embarrass you before all your subjects. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. He did not say, this is Bathsheba's fault. She shouldn't have been naked on the housetop. He said, it was me. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath also hath put thy sin, put thy sin, thou shalt not die. Because he repented. That's the point. But that verse 10 is not going to be removed. Not at all. Remember? The sword will never leave your house, David. It's going to be in your house from now on. you got to watch out how much you rebel against God. It can come and sit down in your own household. That's very sobering. Do you know that? You think God is a different God back then? You may think, well, it's been 10 years since this happened or five years since such and such happened. But it don't mean God is... They tried to say about the Lord, he doth not see, he doth not care. Israel would say that. He doesn't care. We're too small in this whole scheme of things for God to care. No, don't you think that? The sin you commit today, he's going to visit. You're going to come up and say, as Ezra the ninth chapter says, he's punished us less than our iniquities deserve when he scattered us all over the world and we landed in Babylon with nothing. I know I've suffered for the sin in my past. My health is broken. I don't have good health. God has crushed me in my life, and I I haven't decided anything. He's decided and put it in my head to serve him for the rest of my life. I have paid for my sin. Have you paid for yours? You will. The Lord has... Put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. How be it? However, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, and the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. This child that Bathsheba is carrying is going to die. But later on you'll have Solomon by the same woman. He'll be righteous. To a degree, when he starts off, he'll be real humble. But Solomon's the same one that wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote that when he's young. Just believe that. It's a love story between Christ and the church. And he wrote Proverbs later on in middle age. But the, chat, but the book he wrote that is a life lesson to all of us is the book of Ecclesiastes, and he wrote, it, he wrote that when he was old. 
It's 12 chapters, real short, easy to read. And when he says, I got everything I wanted, had all the women I wanted, I had a thousand women, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And I couldn't fulfill all my sexual desires with a thousand women because I came to a place where it didn't matter anymore. And everything I did, he said, when I was young, was vanity and vexation of spirit. The word vexation means to grab for the wind. He said, all that I did was just grabbing for the wind. You can't catch the wind. He said, all this that went on, it meant nothing to me. I suggest you read Ecclesiastes once a year. That was when he's old. He knew Proverbs is is so you'll know wisdom and understanding, the Bible says. You'll learn that along the way. Now, David therefore besought God for the child, verse 16, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. It came to pass on the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? David saw that his servants whispered. David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He's dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and put on his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house when he required and set bread before him and he did eat. And his servants said, What thing is this that you've done? That it's fast and weep for the child while it was alive. And when the child was dead, you you would rise and eat bread. What, what's the deal? We don't understand. And David said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. And I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. And wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. That shows you that the baby died and went to be with the Lord. I've had some people say, well, he died and he went over there in a tomb, but the baby went to hell. He did not go to hell. He'd never done any sin. The wages of sin is death, not the wages of a sin nature. The sword starts in David's house in the next chapter. He's got his eldest son, Ammon. How much time do I have, Mike? Don't have time to get to all this. This is his. This is his eldest son, Ammon. That was the one we read about in the third chapter of this book. Ammon is his oldest son, and Ammon has a stepsister, the full sister of Absalom. Her name is Tamar. Not to be confused with 
the daughter-in-law of Abraham in the 38th chapter of Genesis. This is not the same Tamar. Has a stepsister named Tamar. He falls madly in love with his own stepsister. These are David's two children. And he has Tamar come in. He pretends to be sick. And he's lovesick for Tamar. And he seduces Tamar. Tamar says, don't do this. Ask my father and he'll give me to you. He didn't want to wait. He was bothered. I might say he was hot and bothered. And he took her and raped his own sister. Absalom suspects something's wrong. He says, we're talking about the sons of David and the nephews of David. You couldn't trust David's family. Absalom finds out. He says, has has Amnon messed with you, Tamar? And she says, yes. So Absalom plans for two years. To get Amnon back. And a feast time comes for shearing sheep. And he has two full years. Verse 23, chapter 13. It came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears and Baal Hazar. And is, and is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all those king's sons. Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now. Thy servant hath sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him. He pressured his father that he would allow him to take Amnon with him. Verse 26, then said Absalom, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said, Why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him, and he let Ammon and all the king's sons go with Absalom to this sheep-shearing thing two years later. And Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, This is the sword not leaving David's house, all for that tryst with Bathsheba. And Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark you now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say unto you, Smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not. Have not I commanded you? By, be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon, as Absalom had commanded, that all the king's sons arose. Every man got him up upon his mule and fled and they killed Amnon now what happens to Absalom he leaves the country in fear of his father later on later on Joab wants to get Amnon excuse me wants to get Absalom back Absalom is Joab's first cousin. 
that's his cousin because he's the Absalom. Remember Abigail? Abigail has got sons. And he wants to bring Amnon, excuse me, Joab wants to bring Absalom, another son of David, son of David, David. He kills Amnon, and he wants to bring Absalom back to the land. Absalom. So he goes and charms David and gets Absalom back in the land. What does Absalom do? He stands out at the gate of the city. And this is astounding. It is Joab that gets him back in the land. And then Absalom stands out at the gate of the city, welcoming people into the city and charming them. Now, he just come back from fleeing from his father's anger. Joab gets him back into the land. And he stands out by the gate of the city and charms everybody in verse 6 of chapter 15. And on this matter did Absalom to all of Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He charmed them. Then Absalom puts him an army together with his advisor, Ahithophel. But Ahithophel, he won't take much advice from Ahithophel. So Ahithophel says, I need to go home, put my house in order. He commits suicide. Well, this is, uh, what's the title for this, uh, for this soap opera? Put a whole slew of them together. Now, so he charms the people. Absalom puts him an army together. And David takes three of his generals in his army. Does anybody remember what three generals he took with him? Who would be the most obvious generals today? Huh? He takes Joab, Abishai, and he takes a Gittite. Gittite was the same thing as a Philistine. David had a lot of Philistine friends. You remember when he was running from Saul? He made friends with a lot of Philistines. There was one of them named Ittai. He was very faithful. Ittai. And he takes these three men, Ittai, Abishai, and flees Jerusalem. And he goes to that place we've already talked about. He's going north of Jerusalem. I can't go through all of this all at once. Do I have any time, Mike? Eleven. I'll just kind of make this short if I can. So, Absalom is trying to take over the kingdom. He's charming everybody. And he leaves, they leave Jerusalem. David, Joab, 
Abishai and Ittai lead their army north of Jerusalem across the Jordan River and they go over here to a city remember what city they go to does anybody does anybody here when I was teaching on this before they go to Mahanim Mahanim now as they're going to Mahanim it's a city of refuge they go to the city of refuge and as they're going over here Absalom brings his army after them during the fight between Absalom's army and David's army which is led by David, David's nephews he had some good fighters with him he needed them on the way back Absalom gets caught all of his six pounds of hair gets locked up in a tree pulls up under it he's not hung but David gives some instructions David had told him do not harm my son do not harm my boy he says that in verse 5 of this chapter 18 and the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittai saying deal gently for my sake with the young man don't hurt Absalom it's really funny Absalom was David's just about David's favorite son he was the guy that wanted to take the kingdom from him just David loved him even with Absalom all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom in verse 9 Absalom met the servants of David and Absalom rode upon a mule and the mule went under a thick bough of great oak and his head caught hold of the oak and he was taken up between the heaven and earth and the mule was under him went away and a certain man saw it and told Joab it's the wrong guy to tell Joab is on one side of this battle Joab is on on this side with David Joab and Absalom's over here and Joab hears that Absalom is hung in a tree somewhere out here by his hair a certain man saw it and told Joab and said behold I saw Absalom hanging in tr- an oak and Joab said unto the man that told him behold thou sawest him why didst thou not smite him there to the ground Joab has no compassion about nothing he doesn't listen to nothing David says David said don't do him any harm Joab said yeah sure and I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle and the man said unto Joab though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand yet would I not put my forth my hand against the king's son for in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Ittai saying beware that thou touch not the young man Absalom the king gave us strict orders and you want to go out there and kill him man said I won't do that otherwise I should have wrought falsehood now here's the next guy that Joab killed he killed Uriah the Hittite he's killed Abner and against mine own life for there is no matter hid from the king 
and thou thyself wouldest have set thyself against me, you would have testified against me if I'd have killed him. He was saying, Joab, you're not honorable. You don't have any scruples about you. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand, or spears, and thrust them through the heart of Absalom. So Joab strikes again, kills again. This guy is some kind of character. While he was yet alive in the midst of the oak, ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. Joab blew the... This is the third person we talked about that Joab killed. Joab was a murderer. It doesn't matter what the king said. I don't care what he said. You see, he wasn't afraid of King David. The next chapter will show you that. And Joab blew the trumpet and the people and returned from pursuing after Israel for Joab held back the people and they took Absalom and cast him into the great pit in the wood didn't even even give him an honorable burial and laid a very great heap of stones upon him and all Israel fled everyone to his tent look over here in chapter 19 when he gets back to Israel back to Jerusalem This is Joab's attitude toward his uncle David. Verse 4. Or let's read verse 1. It was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people say that that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people get them by the stealth that day in the city. And the people being ashamed, steal away when they flee into battle. And the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. And notice Joab's response. Cold. And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the face of all thy servants, crying over him. He's chewing out the king and the lives of thy sons and of thy daughters and the lives of thy wives and the lives of thy concubines and that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest your friends. He is ranting at David. You don't love the right people. You just love that boy. That's all. Of course, this is a murderer saying these things. And hatest thy friends, for thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants, all those that died in this battle. The only thing you're concerned about is Absalom. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and we had, and all we had died this day, you'd have been pleased with that, wouldn't you, David, uncle? This guy was an honorary cuss, as the old saying goes. He was just flat out mean. He didn't care what he said to who he said it to. He still got somebody else to kill. And it was just an innocent man. It was his cousin. I read that to you a while ago about... 
about what he said. These sons of Zerah are too hard for me. I can't handle them. I mean, Abishai would say, let's kill Saul. He'd say, shut up, Abishai. But this is all the judgment of God. And it comes up that David finally says, i got to get rid of Joab. So he replaces him. With who? Amasa, his first cousin. With Abigail's son. Huh? With Abigail's son, he replaces. But that don't last long. You don't even know much about Amasa, Abigail's son. Amasa. It's not, it's not a long tenure he has. And he knows that the people will follow him. And they won't follow anybody but him. Let's look over here in Second uh, in Samuel 18. No, excuse me. Going over here, let's look at the death of Amasa. Don't. Amasa was a kind of a gentle guy, and uh, and David's going to replace him. It is in the 18th chapter, verse four. Then said the king to Amasa, "Assemble me the men of Judah." within three days and be thou here present we're going to set you up as the commander don't last long in verse 8 when they were at the great stone which is in Gibeon Amasa went before them and Joab's garment that he had put on him that David had put on him girded unto him and upon it a girdle with a sword fastened upon his loins and a sheet thereof and as he went forth it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? How do you feel? Well, here, let me give you a little bit of pain. He's run a knife up under his third rib. This killer, nephew of David. So he smote him therewith under the fifth rib and shed out his bowels to the ground and struck him not again, and he died. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued after Sheba, the son of Bichri. They just step into the middle of battle, and Joab says, Follow me. Come on, brother Abishai. We'll fight the battles. David would say, I can't handle these sons of Zerah. They're just too hard for me. Some kind of a story, isn't it? It maybe it'll teach us a lesson. Watch out what you do, it's gonna follow you for a long time. When Nathan said the sword'll never leave your house, it never did. David ends up getting to the end of the book, taking credit for by numbers of what he'd conquered in his life. And God said, You've forgotten I'm the one that did all that just amazing to me maybe that can be a lesson to us we've got to watch out what we do 
what we see, God, maybe, maybe you think you're free. Nobody's free from the judgments of God. I wasn't. Every one of us have suffered because of our sin. But it's not so much because of the sin. It's so God can refine us and cause us to be more perfect, more mature, more manly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for teaching us, showing us what we need to do. Thank you for truth. God, forgive me where I failed. I see so much in my past that I'm so ashamed of. I pray you'll teach your people here to have shame. If we don't have shame, we don't have repentance. We need to be like David that said, I alone have sinned against you, Lord. Thank you for truth. Fight our battles. We can't fight them anymore. We'll praise you for all things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So all those people just kill and they go to heaven? Well, I don't even know where Joab is. I don't know where Abishai is. And I don't... David? Well, David went to heaven. Well, he's killing just as much as all these Yeah, but he asked for forgiveness. He believed God. He repented. You don't see where Joab repented. You don't see where Abishai repented. You don't see where any of the rest of them repented. It's the story of David.